We're beginning chapter 21, and we saw in the previous chapter how David is forced to flee. He says goodbye to his good friend, Yonatan, who gave him the heads up that he's got to get out of there, that King Saul's still after him, and he's just not safe hanging out any longer. So the chapter opens like this. The Yonatan came back to the city. So the verse says that David came, he arose, and he went away. And if we recall what we learned in the David and Goliath story, that we learned that, that if the verse is choppy and there's extra verbs in there, like here it says he got up and he went, that means that David is hesitant and he's not exactly eager to run away. It says he arose and he went. What do you mean he arose? What was he sitting down? But it's to show that he's hesitant, he's lethargic. He's not looking forward to what lies ahead. Okay, so where does he go? It says in verse two, Vayavo David Nova. And David comes to Nov. Achimelech HaKohen, to the priest Achimelech. So David arrives at Nov, the city of the priests, and that's where the tabernacle was at that time. This is, of course, before the temple was built, and the spiritual center for the Jewish people was in Nov, which is in northern Jerusalem, and that's where the tabernacle was, the Mishkan, and that's where David goes. Why? Because he wants to pray. He wants to plead to Hashem that Hashem should help him in his upcoming journey because this is all new for him. He goes from being a big man in Saul's kingdom to a runaway, and he wants divine assistance. Some commentators say that he went to Nov because Achimelech was the high priest. He wears the Urim and Tumim on the Choshen, on the breastplate, and David wants to consult with the Urim and the Tumim to know what to do. Okay, so David arrives at Nov to Achimelech, and the verse continues, V'yichred Achimelech l'krat David. And Achimelech came trembling towards David. And he said to him, Why are you alone? Why isn't anybody with you? So the verse says, He's trembling towards David, asking, what are you doing alone? Because it's weird that David's alone. David is a star. He's a celebrity. And somebody in his position doesn't travel without an escort, with some kind of entourage. It doesn't look normal. Plus, David probably looks pretty disheveled. He's been waiting for Yonatan for three days at that rock. And from there, he ran right to Nov. So he doesn't look too good. And it doesn't make sense to see him that way. So the high priest is concerned. He doesn't know about the rift between Saul and David. At this point, hardly anybody knows about it. So David is going to have to give an excuse to Achimelech why he's alone. And he fabricates a story. It says in verse 3, Vayomer David lavi kohen. And David said to Achimelech the Kohen, Hamelech Tzivani Davar. The king sent me on an important mission. Vayomer alai, Ish lo That nobody should know a thing about this mission that I am sending you on. So that's the story David makes up. He's on a secret mission from the king. And that's why he's alone. Because it's so secret that it's just him. Now he's not going to tell the priest the truth that he's running away from the king. And now he adds something to his story to make it sound more believable. He says like this, as for my men, I have men with me. They're not with me though. And I have told them to meet me at a hidden place, a secret place. Now in Hebrew, the word for a secret place is Plony Almoni. He says they're waiting for me at Plony Almoni. And that's like saying at some anonymous place. Plony comes from the word Pele, which means hidden. And Almoni comes from the word Elim, which means also quiet or hidden. 
So Ploni Almoni means at some place, nobody knows about it. Now David had to mention that there were other people with him, other soldiers with him, just to make the story more believable. And he's saying to the priest, they just don't happen to be with me right now. They're waiting in this secret place, Ploni Almoni. But the fact that David is so alone without even an arms bearer with him, it's really kind of strange. Anyway, David now will ask a couple of favors from Achimelech. Verse 4. And now, what have you got for me? What do you have on hand? That is, means, what do you have on hand? Maybe five loaves of bread? Give me whatever you can come up with. David is starving to death and he asks kind of crudely, very abruptly, what do you got? Five loaves of bread maybe? If not, then give me whatever you have. That's how the verse is worded here. He's starving. He doesn't have time for niceties. And he's asking for five loaves because he wants it to last for a while. Of course, David is saying to Achimelech that it's for his men who are waiting for him somewhere. And that's why he needs so much. And it's important here. He does not want to implicate the Kohanim, the priests, in his conflict with Saul. He doesn't want to get them in any kind of trouble. So he's fabricating this tale that he's on a special mission from God. And he's kind of hungry and he needs some food. So the priest answers in verse 5. He answers David. Ein lechem chol. He says, we priests, we don't have ordinary bread laying around. And ordinary bread is lechem chol, like you have kodesh and chol. Kodesh is holy, chol is unholy. We don't have unholy bread, ordinary bread laying around. Ki im lechem kodesh. All we have is lechem kodesh, is holy bread. What does he mean by lechem kodesh, holy bread? Well, the priests have truma, which is one of the gifts that are given to the priest. And only priests are allowed to eat truma. Other bread that they have around is the lechem apanim, which is the showbread. And the showbread is the bread that's inserted on the golden showbread table, which is one of the golden vessels in the tabernacle. You have the menorah, the incense altar, and you have the showbread table with the loaves of bread, the lechem apanim, on the table there. So the priest is telling David, that's the kind of bread we have around here. And then Achimelech, the priest, continues to tell David, if your young men... Those soldiers that are with you have kept themselves from a woman, then they can eat some of this holy food we have on hand. So he's telling David like this, I don't mind giving you the showbread, the holy bread, even if it's reserved for Kohenim only, because I know it's a matter of pikuach nefesh, you got to eat something, but let's at least have a situation where the soldiers eating it aren't impure for marital relations, that they don't have too much carry, they don't have any kind of impurities of any kind. In other words, under ordinary circumstances, they shouldn't be eating this at all. But if there's no choice, at least let them eat it, bitahara, in purity. So David answers in verse 6, And David said to the priest, No problem. No women have been with us from the time we set out on our mission, which is a couple of days ago. That is, we're separated from our families for a few days. There's no marital relations. There's no possibility of tuma, of keri. Everyone is pure, tahor. So don't worry, they'll be eating this holy food, bitahara, in purity. And David adds, and all the men are scrupulous when it comes to maintaining ritual purity. So in the next verse, verse 7, the Kohen agrees, and the priests gave him the holy bread. Because the only bread that was around was the lechem apanim, was the showbread. And the verse continues, what kind of showbread did he give him? 
הלחם הפנים המוסרים מלפני השם. He gave them the bread that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by the warm bread on the day it was taken. Okay, so what's going on? There's a lot of words here and a lot of concepts. I'll explain it. Achimelech has no choice other than to give to David the showbread, the lechem apanim. Because again, Nov was an era Kohanim. It was the city of priests. And they don't have regular bread hanging around. A Kohen is allowed to eat regular bread, but they didn't have a loaf of regular bread hanging around. Now it's crazy for David to eat the showbread. Because again, that's reserved for the priests only. Someone who isn't a priest is not allowed to eat the lechem apanim. But of course, in the case of Bikuch Nefesh, you can eat it even if you're not a priest. You can eat bacon if it's a matter of Bikuch Nefesh. And David is certainly in that category of Bikuch Nefesh. The commentators say he has a condition called Brumus, which is extreme hunger to the point where you're totally weak and you're out of your mind. So of course the Lechem Apanim is permitted to him. But the last part of the verse we read is that he gave him the bread that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by warm bread on the day it was taken. What does that mean? Well, in the days of the temple, in the tabernacle, you have a mishmerit, a different family would serve each week in the tabernacle and the showbread would be replaced every week. And it was a miracle that the showbread never got stale. It always stayed warm and fresh. That was one of the miracles of the tabernacle and the temple. So the showbread that Achimelech gives to David was that bread that had just been removed from the table and replaced by the new bread. Why? Why did he give him the bread that was removed? Because again, David, if he has to eat the lechem apanim that's reserved for the Kohanim, Achimelech wants to give him something on the lowest possible level of holiness. Yeah, it's bikuch nefesh, and David's allowed to eat it, but you try to minimize the severity as much as possible. Just like we saw in the verse earlier, that David said his soldiers are going to eat the holy bread, betahara, they'll eat in a state of purity, because you do what you can to lessen the severity of it. So here too, he wants them to eat the showbread that's been removed from the showbread table because the bread that's been removed has a lower level of sanctity. And that's the reason Achimelech didn't give David the truma. The truma is also lechem kadosh. It's also holy bread. But that's a gift that's given to the Kohen and only the Kohen can eat it. And Achimelech didn't consider giving David truma because the punishment for eating truma by a non-priest is greater than the punishment for eating the lechem apanim by a non-priest because it's hallowed to a greater degree than the lechma panim. So truma was off the table. The bread that was on the table, lechma panim, that's also forbidden, but it has a lesser level of sanctity than truma. And the showbread that's been removed from the table after the changing of the guard, that has even a lesser sanctity than the regular showbread. And that's what Achimelech gives to David. You know, it's like you're allowed to drink water on Yom Kippur if you're really feeling terrible, but you don't drink a cold Coca-Cola. You're supposed to take a half a mouthful of water each time, less than a shiur of water, because you want to minimize the sin, so to speak. Okay, we move on now to verse 8. And verse 8 should have scary music preceding it, because now we get to the villain of this entire episode. And it says like this, V'sham ish ma'avdei Shaul, and there was a man there, one of Saul's servants, Be'omahu, who was there on that day. That is, there was a man in Noah who was standing there, who was observing all this. What was he doing there? He was He was hanging out there before the Lord. So the Redak says that this man came with a group of people to offer sacrifices, because that's what you do at the tabernacle. You pray and you offer sacrifices. And this man remained there to offer more sacrifices and to pray. Okay, now the verse will tell us who was this man. Ushmo doeg adomi. 
and his name was Doeg Adomi, Abir Aroim Asher Lishaul. And what was his position? He wasn't just a regular servant of Saul. He was Abir Aroim. He was Saul's chief servant. He was the head guy. Rashi says, Av Beitin. He was the head of the Sanhedrin. Now, what kind of name is Doeg Adomi? Well, maybe he's an Edomite who became a convert. Maybe he lived in the land of Edom. Anyway, he's observing what's going on between David and Achimelech, the priest, and he's going to speak Loshan Ara against the priests later on. So the narrative mentions him here at this point, that Doeg was at Nov during the time that Achimelech is helping out David, and David knows he's there. And he's trying to be careful not to get Achiv Melech in trouble. But on the other hand, he's starving to death and he needs help. And this Doeg is a huge villain. He is going to bring about the murder of these innocent Kohanim for helping David. He's evil. He's a Moser and a Malshin, an informer. He is going to snitch on these priests and cause their innocent blood to be shed. And that's kind of scary because he's Avbeitin. He's a Biruroim. He's the chief advisor. He's a huge Talmud Chacham. Here the verse introduces him as the guy who is Ne'etzar Lefnei Hashem. He's detained before the Lord. He's davening. He's offering sacrifices more than anybody else. And Rabbi Kahana writes the following about him. There's no doubt when he did this evil deed of squealing on the Kohanim that he halachically justified it. He found some loophole in the halacha. After all, he's a Talmud Chacham, a Torah scholar. And so we see that even somebody great in Torah can fall into terrible sin. And the Rav continues, Because he has no fear of the Lord. He might be scholarly, but that has nothing to do with his midot. There's no value to his Torah scholarship. On the contrary, All that Torah knowledge becomes dangerous because it's misused. So the Rav is saying that an evil person who's stupid he can't do that much damage. But when you're a Torah scholar and you have halacha behind you and you have knowledge behind you and you can justify it and people look up to you and listen to what you say because of your knowledge, you're much more dangerous. That's why Torah could be a samavit. It could be a death drug. And that's the scary part of all this. Doega Domi, he's a tzaddik in everybody's eyes. He's the Av Beitin. Here he is in Nov in the tabernacle, offering sacrifices, praying to Hashem. Outwardly, he's very pious, but he's soon going to speak Lashon Ara against the priests and get them killed. At this point in the narrative, he's sitting there quietly, observing everything. He doesn't run right to King Saul and tell him that, that the priests have helped David, they're harboring a criminal. He's going to do that in the next chapter. Because as evil as he may be, he has a conscience. He's not going to run right away and squeal on them. He needs a way of justifying it. Even for him, it's not easy to just sin right away. But we'll see later in the next chapter when Saul is complaining that nobody's helping him. At that point, Doeg just can't resist it anymore. And then he gives over what he sees here in Nov. And that's the psychology of sin. Most people, when they sin, they don't do it blatantly. They have a conscience. They have to justify it. They have to live with themselves. And so it's mentioned here that Doeg sees all this, but only later on will he tell Saul what he saw and he'll put a spin on it that the Kohanim knew what they were doing as if they knew they were harboring a criminal. Okay, so now that we see that this fellow Doeg Adomi is in Nov lurking in the shadows, now the verses go back to tell us some other items David needs from the Kohen besides food. So it says in verse 9, V'yomer David l'Eli Melech, And David said to Achimelech, V'enyesh po tachat yatcha, which means maybe you have on hand here a spear or a sword. 
Now, this must sound crazy to Achimelech the priest. I mean, it's got to arouse suspicion. David is asking for a weapon. The star soldier in the IDF is asking the priest for a weapon. I mean, how desperate does that sound? And so now David has to come up with a good excuse why he doesn't have a weapon on him. And he says the following. I don't have a spear or sword on me. Why? Because the king's business was urgent. That's what he says. That is, David is saying that this mission is so urgent. I am in such a hurry. I didn't even have time to get my weapons. Or this mission is so secret that I can't reveal to anybody about it. So I don't have a weapon on me. Or I just got to travel light because it's so urgent. Whatever David is trying to say here, it can't make too much sense to Elimelech. And he probably knows at this point, something is very wrong here, but he's not showing it. Now, before we get to Achimelech's response, there's something interesting in David's question, something strange. He doesn't say, Yesh po chanito cherev. Is there a chanito cherev here? Is there a sword or a spear? No, he opens up the ein, and then he says yesh. Before he says the word yesh, if you have, is there a sword or a spear? He says the en, which means, isn't there, which sounds like he wanted to open up the question, the en, isn't there a sword or a spear? And then instead of saying the en, he says yesh. And by the way, you can't pick this up in the English translation, but in Hebrew, it's weird. It says ve'en and it says yesh. What is this ve'en at the beginning? So Rabbi Kahana says that it shows that David is really hesitating. He says ve'en isn't there. And then he pauses and he says, yesh, do you have? So Rabbi Kahana says that David was hesitant to ask because he wasn't sure he could totally put his trust in Achimelech or he just didn't want to get Achimelech into trouble by asking him for a weapon. Maybe because the Wegedomi is standing there. In any case, David asks for a sword or a spear, which is pretty tough to find in Nov, the city of priests. And Achimelech answers the following in verse 10, Vayomer Kohen, and the priest said, Cherev Goliath Aplishti, Hinehi. He says, you know what I have for you? I have Goliath's sword. Yeah, Goliath, who you slew in the Ella Valley. That's what I got. And we mentioned that, that after David slew Goliath, he brought the sword to Nov, to the tabernacle, and it remained there as kind of a souvenir of the great miracle. And the people, when they came to Nov to pray, they would look at the sword and recall the miracle, and that would give them kavana in their davening, in their praying. Anyway, that's the weapon that Echimelech can offer David here. That's what's available. And Elimelech continues talking about this sword. He says the sword is wrapped in a garment behind the ephod. So that's kind of a superfluous verse. And that's why we have Chazal chime in and they say the following. What does it mean the sword is behind the ephod? The ephod, that was the garment of the Kohen. That was the Choshen. On the Choshen, on the ephod, was the Urm and Tumim. So Rashi says that Achimelech actually consulted with the Urm and the Tumim before giving the sword to David because he said something is wrong. He didn't know if supplying David with a weapon is the right thing to do. And that's why we have this afod stuck into the sentence that the sword was wrapped in a garment behind the afod. That's a remez that Achimelech consulted with Yerumetumim. And that's going to get him in trouble later on. Okay, so Achimelech hands the sword over to David and he says, if you wish to take it for yourself, kach, take it. Ki zulata. Because that's the only weapon we have around here. For David. And David said, in Kamor, there's nothing like it. Give it to me. Again, we see David's wording is very terse. In Kamor, give it to me. There's nothing like it. Most of the commentators say that David was thrilled to have this sword. 
Goliath's sword. It's like a good luck charm. It's a symbol of bitachon b'ashem. It's a symbol of his great victory against the giant, that Hashem is with him and so forth. But I believe that David is almost sarcastic here when he says, Enkamoa, there's nothing like it. I mean, isn't Goliath's sword kind of big for him to be lugging around in the Judean desert right now? I think he'd prefer something a bit smaller. I mean, he's got to travel light. Goliath's sword? Well, that's all Elimelech has to offer. And David has no choice other than to take it because he needs some kind of weapon. But come on, I think it's almost comical that David is schlepping around this sword of Goliath. We saw how big he was. We saw what his armor was like. This cannot be the ideal weapon for David. So that's how David begins his journey fleeing from Saul with Goliath's weapon, five loaves of bread. That's how he departs Nov. And we'll see what his next stop is in our next year.